Thank you, Miss Chris. What a beautiful song. At this time, we'd like to dismiss our children, ages three through seven. Uh, they can be picked up after the service at the back of the Aether building, and we would be happy to walk any guests over. So children, you can be dismissed at this time. The Nikos are headed out the back, and so the, the exodus happens. Brother Jan is encouraging those. Great. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to start there this morning, Proverbs chapter 1. Thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning, and thank you for praying. And I know pastor's preaching where he is at, and you continue to pray for him as he's preaching a revival at a church in Tennessee, and covet your prayers that God would work there. The, the pastor is the one who planted the church, and that's a wonderful thought that pastor is helping another pastor, another congregation, uh, moving forward in, for Christ. So we'll look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's stand, if we could please, for the reading of God's Word. We'll start with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, and we'll read down through uh, chapter 18, or, uh, verse 18. My son, if sinners entice thee, Consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. Thank you. You may be seated. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, and Lord, would you help us this morning as we look at the scripture, and Lord, as we begin here looking at Proverbs and the truth that will teach us all valuable lessons. And as we look at the lives of people in your book, that you would help us today. And Lord, I thank you for the families that are here this morning, every home that's represented. And Lord, there are many needs today. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would have liberty in our service this morning. That wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything that would hinder his working in lives. And Lord, would you be with our pastor and his family this very moment as he's preaching. And Lord, would you give him power and unction and Lord, help him discern exactly what he needs to preach to the congregation there. And Lord, it's amazing that you can meet with us here, meet with him there, and other churches that are endeavoring to go forward for Christ. And so, Lord, we, we need your power today. We need your help. And thank you for loving us. And thank you for the, this church service already, just the blessing, the, uh, the sense of your presence is here. And, and Lord, we don't want you to pass us by we want to meet with you this morning. And so, Lord, would you use all of us today to be engaged and, and help me as I preach, help the listener. Lord, help every Christian, every lost person today find what you have for them. Lord, we love you and we thank you once again. Amen. So as we uh, look at Proverbs chapter 1, this was not my original thought. The pastor gave the teachers a devotion book titled Apples. Apples for Teachers. And so one of them, uh, was it's real concise, but it was about the importance of foresight. And it began with Proverbs chapter 1, 
And this is a proverb that Solomon was writing most likely to his son Rehoboam. And he's giving them key instruction. And he starts out in verse 10. He calls him, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And so he's warning his son. He's giving, giving him some instruction about the people to, to not follow. And I find it alarming to when you read this, the activities that this group of people would be involved in. It's, 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 it's heinous crime. They're going to murder people. They're going to steal from people. They're going to wait for people. They're going to attack the innocent. And it gives me the idea of when you read about the Good Samaritan that helped the man on the side of the road and the condition that he was left in. I'm thinking, these, these fellows are off the charts. And he's trying to tell Rehoboam that they're so keen, they can entice you and draw you into activities you never thought possible that you would get engaged in. So there we learned that youth are most times innocent. Sometimes the mistakes they make, they're not, they're not really being rebellious. They just don't know any better. And I've learned a lot from the other teachers in that oftentimes when we're dealing with young people, sometimes they just don't know. And sometimes they are rebellious, and that's true. But sometimes they just don't know, and, or sometimes it's just, a, it's just immaturity. But whatever the case may be, the bottom verse in verse 18 gives us a, a warning here of the individual's who would entice someone to come in to activities that would be harmful and sinful. I mean, look at what they're doing. They're, they're, uh, they're swallowing them alive as the grave. That's awful. Um, they will take all the precious substance. They'll fill their houses with the spoil that they illegally get from someone else. And so Solomon says, don't, don't walk in that way. Run from evil. Running from evil is a very brave act. It's not cowardly. In verse 18, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. What he's saying is these sinners are walking and making decisions that lead to their very own destruction. And, you, and Solomon is saying, Rehoboam, if you, if you let them entice you, you will be destroyed. That is the end. So in this Devotion that I read, it talked about experience being a good teacher. The, the, the thought was, that's not the true statement. The devotion was against that, that experience is not the best teacher. That's the worst advice anyone could ever give another person is, well, just get the experience. Dear friend, we don't need experience. There's things that God does not want you to experience or for me to experience. The Bible is full of lives that we can learn from and let their lives speak to us, and warn us about decisions. So it's the importance of foresight. It's knowing the end from the beginning. No, we can't know everything, but I hope to preach today and help us today that the best advice is to listen to godly instruction, to listen to people that have been there, done that, and if I could say got the t-shirt, we hear that often, right? And that would maybe be for something that's you know, common or, or, you know, work experience and life experience. But we're talking about making decisions that would be life altering. And so the, the Bible bears all when it tells the story of a person's life. And this is for teenagers. It's for us adults. It's for people in that last stage of life. Like we were challenged this morning from Brother Larry LeCure. Great challenge this morning, Brother Larry. Thank you. 
no matter where we are, we can continue to learn. As long as God's given us life on this earth, we're learning about having the foresight, knowing the end from the beginning. Even Dr. Childs, when you speak with him, you can tell God is still teaching and showing him truths, and he's learning so much, and he willingly shares it. And so we're not exempt from this truth, regardless of how old we may be. But the strong argument also about the Bible's validity is that it bears all when it talks about someone's life and wonderfully shows how he can transform someone into the image of his grace. And so this morning as we look, we're going to leave Proverbs chapter 1 with this thought, and they lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. I'd like us to look at, first man we'll look at this morning, his name is Lot. And Lot comes to us the first time in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. Uh, if you want, you can turn to Genesis chapter 13 for a moment. We'll be in Genesis chapter 13 for just a little bit. So Lot arrives there in chapter, uh, chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. And we learn a little something about Lot that he has a father. His name is Haran and Haran dies early. And so Lot is left with his family. He's going to basically come into the home under the leadership of Abram, Uncle Abram. Of course, we know him later as Abraham, but in that portion of Scripture, he's Abram. And so Lot was raised by his grandfather, Terah, and his uncle, Abram. And as we look at his life, I want us to remember that the details are not uh, clear as far as the Bible is concerned about the kind of home he was in. But do remember this is that God looked at Abraham and was wanting to use Abraham to make him a father of many nations because he was confident in Abraham's ability to lead his children in obedience. He trusted Abraham. This was the kind of man he was, and this was the kind of leadership that Lot was under. I don't know how old Lot was when his dad passed away, and I don't know how old he was when he was raised by Terah and Abram, but we know he was part of the family and was, did the work that they did. They were herdsmen. And as time went on, God began to bless this family so much that they were, went into a different land that the land couldn't support all of their livestock, all of their sheep, their cattle, their, their animals. And there wasn't enough watering holes. There wasn't enough grazing land. And so the herdman, the workman for Lot, he was wealthy. He had grown in size. His outfit had grown as well as his uncle's. And so being the, the peaceful man that Abraham was, he he tells Lot in, in um, chapter 13, he says, Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. And so it's interesting that Abraham, being the peacemaker, is doing whatever is necessary to bring peace to his family. He wants things to be right between he and Lot. And then he looks at Lot and says, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. And so it's, this, is, this, is, this is prime real estate. This is great land. And we notice something first about Lot in the, in the orientation of his heart is that he doesn't give deference to his uncle. He doesn't look at Uncle Abram and say, Uncle, you've taken care of me since my dad passed away. 
You've been a father to me. You've been good to me. I would not have this wealth, this livestock. I wouldn't have what I have had not been for you. Would you choose first? Or he could have said, would you tell me where you would like for me to go? We don't see that here. We see Lot taking advantage, if I could say that way, of the the choicest of land. And he chose, verse 11, and he chose all the plain of Jordan. You know what's a powerful truth here? Is that a giver will do anything that's necessary for a peace, for peace. But the taker, the taker will take. And oftentimes the taker won't take what's best for him. He'll take what's best for you. He'll take your best. And so we start to see Lot here. Not sure why Lot was this way. Don't know exactly, but we see that his steps, his first choice was not to give deference to his uncle, was not to let him be, have first choice. And so Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one for another. It's amazing when you read later on, God, if, if the, there was a lesser choice and Abraham received it, God said, don't worry, all this is yours and your seed forever. Abraham was blessed, even though he may have gotten the lesser choice. God honored Abraham for his faithfulness and for his willingness to keep peace in his own family. That's the kind of man that Lot was under. And so as Lot uh, began to move in the land, it tells us that Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. See, life's about choices and decisions. We start to see Lot's uh, beginning for his greed. Men, we've heard pastors say this a lot. He said it in sermons, said it to us in challenges. You make your decisions. What's the rest of the statement? Your decisions make you. That's right. It's a powerful truth. I'm glad to hear it. And this is true in the, in the life of Lot and even in the life of the next man we'll look at. But he chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. His choice that he made led he and his family to serious problems. Serious problems. He chose the best grazing land. Nothing wrong with that. He chose the best watering holes. Nothing wrong with that. He chose it for himself. Why did he not consider the evil influence that Sodom would have on his family? Why would he choose something that his wife and his children could not withstand? You know, when we choose, we must consider those that we are responsible for. You're responsible for more than just yourself. Dad and mom and uh, brother and sister, you're not the only one that your life will have effect on. You may be able to withstand temptations, but what about your wife? What about your husband? What about your children? Can they withstand the difficulties and the challenges that a poor decision would bring? Have Have your choices placed you and your family in such a place? Sodom was influencing his wife and his children. And we could argue, well, Lot, which we learn in 2 Peter chapter 2, was a just and righteous man, that he should have been, that there was no problem with him being in Sodom or near Sodom so that he could reach people for the Lord. And I would agree with that, but that's not what he did. He became Sodom. There's there's a key verse, if you could turn over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 19, where more of the story is found 
I'll read this verse and then we'll backtrack just a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 16, and I agree with one commentator, I believe Genesis 19, 16 sums up the life of Lot. And the verse begins, and while he lingered. And while he lingered. We learn in the men's refresher, if we linger, we lose. The men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. If we were to go back towards the end of chapter 18, there's a conversation between the Lord and Abram, Abraham. And Abraham is asking God, if you find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not destroy the city? And he even, in a, not in a challenging way, but he makes a statement. He says, shall not the God of all the earth do right? That, that God is just and right and God is just and right. And, and as he uh, took the request of Abraham, at, just before the Lord departs from Abraham, you hear, you hear these words. He says, um, if, I destroy, if I find peradventure 10 shall be found there, I will not destroy it for ten's, ten's sake. If ten righteous people are in the city, the Lord says, I won't, I won't destroy it. I won't destroy it. And then as the, these angels that are sent of God to rescue Lot, this is God's mercy. God made a promise. If I find ten, or if I find ten, I won't destroy it. He never said he would have to rescue anyone else. God was being merciful in his rescuing of Lot and his family. And so as they entered the city, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving quickly for time, but you can read all this in Genesis chapter 19. When the angels come, Lot takes them into his house. He takes responsibility for them. But the men of the city are so wicked that they come and nearly break down the house to get to the men, these angels who are there to rescue Lot and his family. And the Bible says that they want to know them, and it's not talking about knowing them over a cup of coffee. It's knowing them in a very perverse and vile way. And these vile men are made blind and the, 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 the task begins for the angels to get Lot and his family out of, out of Sodom. And that's where we find the 16th verse where it says he lingered. The sin of Sodom was sodomy. The city had grown so vile and wicked that God had to destroy the city. And this sinful culture, this way of life had deeply engrossed into Lot's life and the life of his family. He had such lost his testimony that when he went to his sons-in-law, they, they mocked him because he tried to explain to them, God's going to destroy the city. You need to come with us. And they wouldn't listen. They made fun of him. He lived so long in this place and had become so much like the people that when he tried to witness, it was futile. Because Lot lingered. He lingered and he lost. He lost his family. When we stutter step to obey, when we hesitate, it's often an indication that we have fallen in love with the valuable things of our culture. Status, reputation, wealth, possessions, or maybe the influence. And this goes for people in ministry. You know, we can get so off track and thinking that maybe we're entitled or that God owes us something or we have it harder than anybody else. Friends, we were reminded this morning what we really deserve in our Sunday school lesson about hell. 
And I'm so thankful that God allowed me and my family to come to know him so that we have more than just escaping an eternal damnation. We have a God, as we sang about this morning, who loves us. He wants us. <laughs> God, you want me? Wow. That same God was the God that was rescuing Lot and showing his mercy. As we kind of come to the end of Lot's story here, we find him in a very despicable situation. And before I read that, I just want to think, would Lot have made the same decision had he taken time to give it some foresight about the decisions he was making way back when he was with Uncle Abram, when he didn't give his uncle deference, when he looked at how great the land was? Would, would he have made the same decision? Look at me, look at me in uh, verse 36 of chapter 19. And I, we won't read the whole story because we've got a mixed crowd in here, but I think we'll get the gist of this. Verse 36. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. The firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger she bare a son called his name Benami. The same is the father of the children of Ammon uh, unto this day. Do you think Lot would have made a different choice? Could he have seen the end from the beginning? You know, Lot didn't have to know the future. He didn't have to have God give him a vision. He had a man in his life. His name was Abram. We know him as Abraham. I said that already. That could have helped him in that decision making. But he knew in his heart where he wanted to go. He was already oriented to the land of Sodom, to the city of Sodom. And decision after decision placed his family closer and closer to destruction. And his wife didn't make it out either. The only ones that survived were Lot and his two daughters. And they were in such desperation. They thought there was no hope. And it led to an act of desperation, as we read in chapter, or verse 36. The culture had so twisted their thinking that they'd forgotten that there was a God who could give hope to the hopeless. I was thinking about this and how leaders in our lives and anytime you get to talk with Pastor Mrs. Ingram and sit in their office and talk about a problem or a situation, they're always injecting hope. And that's, that's true leadership. That is true loving leadership is when it's a friend, your mother, your father, your brother or sister, whoever you're talking to, when they can look at your life and things just seem to be falling apart. And they can look at you and say, but God, God is with you. God is for you. It's one thing to even suffer consequences for our sin. And, but God can bring joy in the morning even when those situations occur. If we're willing to surrender and let him work for, work it out for his good. I've already asked the question, would Lot have made the same choices? He was driven by desire for what looked best, yet it led to his destruction because he could not consider the future. He failed to consider the importance of having foresight. As we were reminded in the last verse of Proverbs 1, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. They are waiting for their own destruction. They cannot see the end from the beginning and they do not have eternity's values in view. A sad story. 
Let this be an experience. If experience is going to be the teacher, then let's Lot be a teacher to us. Let's not try to work this life out on our own and let experience guide us. No, sir, please let Lot be a great teacher to us today. The Bible is full of great teachings. The second man I'd like to look at this morning is a man called Moses. And a part of his life we'll look at is in the palace. And if you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. We may be familiar with Moses or chosen to lead God's people out of Egypt. And in Hebrews chapter 11 is just a great commentary. It's concise about the life of Moses. Moses had decisions before him and he had choices before him. And most of his life was spent in an Egyptian home where they worshiped many gods. And his birth parents were godly people, but the family that reared him would most likely been idolaters. But look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. Man, that's an important verse. Uh, of four, uh, words or portion of a verse, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a, for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. For many years, Moses lived with, I don't know, if, I don't know what to call Pharaoh's daughter because it wasn't his birth mother. Maybe it had been his stepmom. I don't know what to call her, but Pharaoh's daughter raised him. And no doubt there was, a, there was a relationship built there. She cared for him. She saw that he got the best training. And it could have been a very painful act, but he refused, the Bible says, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In a sense, you could say he turned his back on his mother for the cause of Christ, to, to choose to suffer affliction with his people. Moses was born during a time when Pharaoh wanted to exterminate all the Jewish baby boys, just like King Herod wanted to do when Jesus was born. Moses' parents were courageous to place him in the river. His mother knew that it would be wrong to follow Pharaoh's edict and see her baby boy destroyed. And so we learn from their parents, and, and he, as a baby, no doubt under, doesn't understand all the workings, but this is one thing I'm learning that, man, babies are very keen, even at three months. I believe a baby can know if his parents are living for the Lord or not. Just the, the atmosphere of the home, the tone of voice, the things they hear. I believe it's so important. And maybe, maybe uh, Moses couldn't, he's three months old, he's a baby. He's relying upon his mom for everything. But somehow, I believe God was able to just let that baby know that his parents were being very courageous. And though the situation was dire, his parents were fully trusting God. You know what they saw? They saw God completely take over in Moses' situation. You might be facing an impossibility in your life. That apart from God, if he doesn't intervene, it's just not going to happen. The miracle can't be worked up. It can't be bought. It can't be traded. God's got to come into the situation. He's got to come into the room. That was their place. And they decided to act in faith and trust God for the results because God did have a greater purpose for Moses and this isn't to say that God didn't have a greater purpose for Lot I believe he did I believe he put Lot with the right man to influence others around him 
and for the purpose of letting other people know about God, but Lot was led astray. Moses' parents were Amram and Jochebed, and they knew that their children that God had given them were an heritage unto the Lord, and they did everything in their power to preserve the life of their child. They chose to honor God when those in the land were not. Abram was a man who honored God. In fact, the Bible says about Abram, he was the friend of God. Just to remind us that Lot had people in his life that were for him and serving God faithfully. But we do see the providential care of God in the life of Moses. Pharaoh's daughter found him by the riverside and legend seems to say that she didn't have a child and therefore they had prayed to their gods and so the Moses comes along and she's probably believing that her false god has now given her the request she's asked of. I don't think it's uh, funny to laugh at, but the irony of how strong Moses turns his back almost to God saying no to Pharaoh's daughter that that son of yours is mine. You're preparing him for a greater cause in the future. But I do, do recognize that she did show compassion on this Hebrew boy because she could have ordered him killed. What if an Egyptian soldier would have been walking along that day and saw the Hebrew child, he saw Moses there on the riverbank, he would, have, he would have killed him. He'd have had every right to by the law of the land. But God providentially cares for Moses. And so Moses' parents, it's amazing. God works it out so that Moses' birth mother, Jochebed, his real mother, is able to nurse him and be a nursemaid for a time. And then she has to give him back over to Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses begins years of training. He's taught military tactics of the day. He's taught civil law. He's taught science. He's taught language. He's taught religion. He's being prepared either as an heir of the throne or maybe just groomed for Egyptian leadership. Because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is preaching the history of Israel to the Pharisees, he says, and Moses was learned and all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. I believe Moses was a man of great physical strength and great physical power. If you know any history about Egyptian armies, they were, they were a lean, mean, killing machine. And Moses was in their ranks. That's why it was so easy for him to whip all those guys at the well that day. Remember that story? He just tossed them aside and moved the rock. He was a strong guy. Strong man. He was well-fitted for what Egypt needed. His mother, Pharaoh's daughter being the mother I'm referring to, may have had high hopes that her son Moses would be a prominent leader in Egypt one day, but little did she know the rigorous training and preparation would be used to lead the Hebrew people to freedom. Moses had an Egyptian name, reared by an Egyptian family, grew up in Egypt, but he never forgot his God or forgot his people. In fact, Hebrews 11 uh, verses 23 through 27 give us that walk of faith where he chose to separate himself from Pharaoh's house. He left the comfort of the palace. He would later be in the backside of the desert. And then he would give up all the delicacies of the kingdom to feast on the manna of heaven. And not only do you know about all the good things and great things that Moses did, we know the ugly events of Moses' life, how he killed a man. He was a murderer. 
No doubt he had been out and saw the injustice that was occurring, the taskmaster beating the Hebrew slave probably to death. And this, I don't know how old Moses would have been, but he's, he, can, he can take this guy's life instantly. He's been trained. He knows what to do. And here's what it shows. In Moses' own strength, all he could do to help his people was to kill one man. But as the God-called leader of Israel, he leads him through the Red Sea and watches God destroy the entire Egyptian army at one time. See the difference, the power of God versus the power and dependence upon the flesh? The mighty works that God could do through a surrendered Moses, not because he was smart, not because he had physical prowess, all those are, are, are no doubt helpful, but he was a surrendered man who practiced the presence of God, and God used him in a mighty, powerful way. If you would ask Moses, Moses, would you have made the same decisions back then as you did now? I'm sure he would say, yes, there's some things I'm do different, but I'm glad I never, I never regret turning my back on Egypt. I never regret uh, wanting to suffer the affliction of my people and for my God. He never would have told us that that was a regret in his life. He was driven to be with his people and his God. He was, he was not given over to selfish ambitions. Moses was for what was right and just. And yes, he acted in a moment of haste and reactionary anger and took a life and that cost him a great consequence. And that is not what God would want us to do, to, to try to do his will in our flesh. That, that is a great picture. Let's remember that. To do God's will in our flesh results in death and corruption. But in spite of his mistakes, God takes Moses and he leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They're throwing a party because the Hebrew people are leaving. All the wealth of the land is given over to the people. I mean, where do you think they got all that? The wealth when they started giving offerings later on at the tabernacle. It was back in Egypt when God had demonstrated his power to such a degree that lest the Hebrew people leave, they knew they were going to die, the Egyptians. But he took steps of faith and left the consequences up to God. And so it kind of brings us back to the beginning with uh, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 18, that they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. That... They fail to see the end from the beginning. And the consequences have brought them to their own destruction. Can I ask you, as you're looking at the end from the beginning, you made some bad choices? You made some bad decisions? Have you not obeyed the godly counsel? Can I encourage you today? You can start on a fresh page with God. If we begin now to look at our lives with the end in view and have the importance of foresight, we can begin to sow seeds of righteousness today. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is another verse we saw this morning in Sunday school. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he separated our transgressions from us. Psalm 109, Psalm 103. One of my favorites here in Revelation 21, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We can start on a fresh page. Your fresh start, your starting over, might need to begin with a new birth. God really doesn't owe anyone anything until we begin to surrender and humble and know that He's God and we're not. He's the Savior. We need saving. There may be some here today that if you died today, you would die not having your sins forgiven and not having eternal life. May I encourage you? That's your start today. You know, we said the, the, the title here, the thought here is having foresight. The Bible gives us great foresight. In fact, the Bible tells the future. We return back to Hebrews eleven nine. 9. It tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. These men we talked about this morning, Lot and Moses, they're dead. Death comes to every man. And so this morning, if you aren't sure of your eternal destiny, if you don't know, we, we, uh, we don't really understand the reality of heaven and hell as we should. Dear friend, it's a very poor assumption to believe that when you die, you will be in heavenly rest and peace. But the reality is, with Christ, dependence upon Him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, yes, you will have eternal life and heavenly rest and peace. If there's any doubt today, please don't leave this morning without talking to someone. God took your sin and He took my sin on the cross He took God's wrath for sin so that we don't have to. But if we don't place our dependence and faith and trust upon him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life and we die, we'll spend an eternity in damnation, an eternity in hell. Christian, this morning, if if you can look at your life and maybe it's like Lot, you've placed yourself and your family in a position so close to Sodom that the effects, you can see them, you sense them, you know them. Can I encourage you to turn and run and get to God this morning? Get the help you need. If God, maybe like Moses, is stirring in your heart to serve Him, to, you, you see the need. You see the need for people being right and justice and righteousness. And you've sensed God stirring in your heart to serve Him. Can I encourage you? Don't do that apart from this church. God's moving in your life to serve. You think He's got something for you, and He does. There's plenty of work here at the church. This is not an independent operation. God works and moves and accomplishes His mission through the local New Testament church. And if you're a member of this church and God's stirring in you, He wants you here at Canaan to flesh that out and to find out what it is that he has for you to do. Thank you so much for being attentive this morning. If you could stand to your feet at this time, I'd love to give us a time of invitation. I believe God spoke to many of us this morning, much to consider. If you need to talk to someone about being saved, being born again, maybe those words don't even resonate to like, what does that mean? You can see one of our ushers, you can see me and, Others, we'd love to 
just help you understand what it means to be saved. Christian, if God's worked in your life this morning through the example of Lot's life, the example of Moses' life, maybe, maybe you're facing a decision and you need God's help in seeing the end from the beginning. God will give you direction. God will use his Bible and instruct you. You know, when we become, when we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have the best teacher in the universe. And he won't steer you wrong. Lord, thank you so much for our time together this morning around your word. I pray, God, that you would work as only you can to this, uh, this morning in, our, in the lives. And Lord, I do pray that you would help every one of us see the end from the beginning. Lord, let your truth be the teacher of teachers for us today. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to accomplish during this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.